Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever done things as nearly as perfectly as a human being can? For example, sharing the word of God with your neighbor at the perfect time and actually saying everything and actually even hearing your neighbor say, Wow, I need that. And then they still don't come to hear the word of God. Things, maybe it's a voters meeting or other things, don't turn out the way you wanted them to in your congregation. And it was blatantly obvious to you it was the right way. And they still didn't turn out. What should you do? Now, we want to give one warning. In our gospel lesson in 1 John chapter 6, verses 41 through 51, that's that very long bread of life discourse. The people were confused. They wanted a Messiah who would give them bread and rule over Israel like King David. And when, David refu- when Jesus refused, they really began to have a problem. And ultimately, they start grumbling among themselves. And they say in verse 42, Isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? So how can he say, I've come down from heaven? The things they wanted were earthly. And they didn't understand the heavenly things, the things that were according to the triune God's will. So we got to be careful when we're worrying, God, why didn't this turn out the way I wanted it to, that what we were focusing on is not earthly, not something that's in accord with earthly wills and, and instead of being God the Father's, because then we can fall away from the church as that crowd did and we'll fall into apostasy. But what happens when you know this is blatantly the right thing and the voters voted a different way in your congregation? Today we'll ask the question, what should we do when God does not do what we think he should do? And again, our thinking there seems to be very in tune with scripture. And to answer that question, we're going to look at the prophet Elijah. Now you need to remember that Elijah was one of the most powerful of the prophets by, not by earthly standards, if you will. It was just a gift God had given him. It wasn't that he was better than you and I, but... He did the most miracles since the time of Moses and Joshua, the conquest of the promised land. What had happened was there had been a civil war and and the the two kingdoms were divided to what was supposed to be one united kingdom. The northern kingdom, Israel, had this problem that if people were going down to the southern kingdom, to Judah, to worship there at the temple, well, where would their political alliances really be? And so they set up a false worship. And eventually you get a king uh, who marries a Phoenician woman. You'll know her as Jezebel. And Jezebel's a really big worshiper of Baal. Baal is the false god of rain. It's disgusting, but they thought rain came out of his sexual organ. And so they, they did things that really were detestable to God. And any false worship is detestable to God, especially the worship of a false god. There's only one God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God says to the people, fine, I'll withhold the rain. And Elijah has to go in hiding because they threaten to kill him. And and Elijah's fed in a ravine by the Lord in a miraculous way. And then God actually sends him to a Phoenician widow, the widow of Zarephath, where the bread dough, and she has just a little bit in a jar, and it doesn't run out. But those seven years, God has said, it's not going to rain for seven years. If you guys want to worship a false god, I'll make sure it's abundantly clear to you that he does not exist. He's not the one who sends rain. And at the end of those seven years, Elijah comes forward and says, let's have a showdown. There are 450 Baal prophets. 
And he says, here's what we're going to do. We'll both build altars. We'll both stack up wood. We'll both have sacrifices. We'll both pray to our God. Whichever fire gets lit, that's the true powerful God. He lets the Baal prophets go first. He lets them pick the sacrifice. He gives them every advantage. And they pray all day and they cut themselves and everything. And Baal remains silent because he doesn't exist. Finally, it's Elijah's turn. Imagine filling your bathtub up with water and then dumping that bathtub on the sacrifice, on your fire, several times. This is going to guarantee it's impossible for this thing to light, even with gasoline. And then Elijah prays to God, and the fire goes. Elijah turns to the people and says, Now, those 450 Baal prophets, they have been leading you into a false worship. If you follow them, you're going to end up in hell because you're worshiping a false god, not the god of righteousness who gives you, credits you with his righteousness, who washes you clean of your sin. So kill them. It might seem harsh to us today because... The only thing that's not tolerated today in our culture of tolerance is anybody who says, no, there are objective facts and your facts are wrong. But there truly is only one God. That doesn't mean we go around killing people. It's a different time. And those, again, those Baal prophets had been leading the people to hell. So Elijah says, kill them, and they do. That should be the end of it, right? That whole northern kingdom of Israel should say, wow, God really used Elijah to show us we've been worshiping the false god. We've been led astray. We're done. We're standing behind the true God. Nope. Jezebel, the queen, sends a message to Elijah that basically boils down to, I'll be darned if you're not dead in the next 24 hours. Elijah falls into despair. But it's easy when these things happen to you and I. We go, everything's going right. Really, Lord? The people didn't convert, really? It's easy for us to forget something big. Everything Elijah had done was the law. The law is summarized with the Ten Commandments. But the law does not change a heart. It doesn't convert a heart. The law is a judge. It says, here's what holiness is. And from there on out, it says, this is holy or this isn't holy. And even that display of God's power, that was law. It pounds a person's conscience. It says, guilty, guilty, guilty but it doesn't make a person a believer. The gospel does that. Now, the gospel is the good news that God became a man and he was perfectly holy in your place. He kept the law and then he went to the cross to bear the punishment for your sins. And now that gospel demands faith. So God sends somebody to share the word of God with you or sends you to share the word of God with others. And that's either nourishing faith or creating faith because when that message is shared, the Holy Spirit enters the dead heart and he creates the new person. He creates the faith that is engrafted to Christ. So it's important for us when we feel like God is not doing what we think he should do and everything seems to be in accord with his word to remember first and foremost that the law does not convert. The good news of salvation in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, is what truly makes people alive and gives them faith. Now, our text begins at 1, Corinthians, at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3, after that showdown and everything in the message from Jezebel. And when Elijah saw the results of all of this, he rises up and he walked out uh, concerning his life. And the Hebrew word is nephesh, soul. It's, it's his very existence. Without it, you don't exist. So it's the soul, but it's also the mental faculties and everything. Then he came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he allowed his servant to rest there. This is 
kind of this guy who serves him. And kind of, it's not quite an employee relationship, but it's like his under prophet, if you will. Now, the amazing thing is Elijah's now safe from Jezebel. He's in Judah. That's a different kingdom. But he doesn't stop there. He leaves his servant there. You rest. We're done. And if we skip ahead there to verse 8, we find out that Elijah got up, ate and drank and went from the nourishment of the food that God had provided. And for 40 days and nights, he traveled as far as the mountain of God named Horeb. Now, Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. This is where God had appeared to Moses in the burning bush. You're going to get my people. This is where God made the covenant with the Israelites when he had taken them out of Egypt. And so Elijah, knowing the people of Israel still not embracing the Lord, are breaking the covenant and they deserve to die just as those Baal prophets. And and that's not what he would want. But he knows where it was made and he heads to the place where he is hoping to be able to talk to God. And this is not illogical. This is not unbelief in his aspect. And God will talk to him there at Mount Sinai. More on that in a minute. But do you notice in his despair, Lord, it didn't work out. What does Elijah do? He heads to where he can hear the word of the Lord, where he can talk to God. Now, today, you and I don't need to go to Mount Sinai. It's insignificant today, if you will, because we have both the Old and the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit written for us. That's where God communicates with us. And so today we would take a look at Elijah's example, who headed to a place where he knew he could converse with God. And where can you hear God converse with you? His word. And so you would come to worship and you would come to Bible study, come to your daily devotions. And also don't forget that God has given you a special meal that nourishes you. That's the Lord's Supper where he nourishes your soul. So what should you do when God does not do what we think he should do? Head to the Lord by coming to his means of grace. Maybe you're misunderstanding. Maybe there's something you're not looking at, but God promises to uplift you and nourish you there. Now, when I talk about pastoral counseling, I am not a psychologist, so please don't think of that. It's really pastoral soul care. When somebody comes to me privately, my, there's this sin that's really bothering me, and, and, and I'm really struggling with this sin. Or, for example, when a couple comes to me that are married and say, we are not getting along. And it often amazes me, first of all, when it's very rare that it happens that, for, for example, with married couples, when they're fighting, It's very rare, it does happen, that it's a couple that you regularly see both of them in Bible study and in worship. But when it's not, and that's usually the case, we live in an age where people go to the drive-thru and often five minutes later they got dinner for a family of five or six. So we're really impatient. And the work that I have, the Word of God, lots of times I have to build up their understanding of the word of God so that they are empowered to forgive each other and begin healing their marriage. And this can take months depending on how much they're staying away. Or what else is frustrating to me is when you have somebody who doesn't come to worship and they come to me and you give them advice, you show them the word of God and they say, wow, that's really made a difference. That has really helped. Thank you so much. Wait, before you leave. The biggest thing I do every week is study the word of God, study especially the text for the sermon and prepare that. That's where God nourishes you. You need to come to worship. Thanks, pastor. And you don't see him again. The word of God that helped them so much with their life problem and you can't get them to come. As the saying goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Here I'm using the law again. 
But lots of times when those people have problems in life, they need brothers and sisters in Christ like you to tell them, head to the means of grace. Go there to God's embrace to where he, he says his word to you and strengthens and uplifts you and gives you the power to fight against this. So what should you do when God does not do what we think he should do? Remember that the law does not convert. That's the good news of salvation in Christ that gives us the new person. And head to the Lord by coming to his means of grace, which is where he gives you grace. That's his word. That's where you were baptized and sealed into his kingdom forever. And that's where uh, the Lord's Supper nourishes you. Those are the means of grace. But Elijah doesn't just start heading to Mount Sinai, does he? We're told, then he on his part went a day's journey into the desert. And so he came to a particular broom plant and sat down under it. And then he asked if his very existence could die. Then he said, enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors. That's quite a prayer, isn't it? Lord, I'm fed up of this. People aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. Please just let me die. It often amazes people to find out that colorful, pretty prayers are not what we need. The Holy Spirit intercedes with moans and groans that, the, that only the God can understand. And Jesus Christ washes your sins away. That's the good news of the gospel. So you are able to communicate with God. I've often wondered as a pastor, when people's loved one is, for example, dying in the hospital, if I were to show up and say, dear Lord, Bubba Schmidt's here, has cancer, Amen. We often are afraid to pray to the Lord unless it's colorful and pretty and full of lots of words. You have the privilege of communicating with God. And while Elijah's prayer, if you stop and think about it, Lord, I'm tired of working for you. It's not working out. I want to die. Doesn't that sound like an awful prayer? But he's truly taking the problem to the Lord Christ who will come is going to wash the sin off that. The Holy Spirit will turn that into a better prayer. And by the way, God is going to answer his prayer. And in fact, he's going to answer it above and beyond what Elijah asks for. It's not going to happen immediately. But Elijah is one of two people in all of the Bible who's allowed to actually escape the fate of death. He will be carried up to heaven. Now, the last generation when Christ returns will also escape that as well. But the beautiful thing here is Elijah's prayer might just hurt in our ears. But Elijah doesn't just come to the Lord to hear the Lord talk. He prays to the Lord and tells the Lord the problem. You and I can do that. And when you're not, you don't have to worry about the solution. Now, we want to be good stewards. So if we say, Lord, I'm hungry and I'm just going to sit here and wait for you to, to provide food, wham up. Chances are the Lord's not going to do that. He's probably going to have you go to work and get a paycheck. Or maybe he'll have somebody say, why don't you walk to my house for a meal here and then let's get you on your feet. But the point here is... Elijah takes it to the Lord in prayer, which you and I can do, and then be good stewards of what he's given us. We say there, the problem is now the Lord's. I am simply to be a good steward with what he's entrusted into my hands. So what should we do when God does not do what we think he should do? Remember that the law does not convert. That's the good news of salvation in Christ that converts. Head to the Lord by coming to his means of grace and take it to the Lord in prayer. Then he laid down and went to sleep under that broom plant. Kind of like the way the Hebrew, behold, and behold, an angel touching him. Wasn't expected by Elijah, he's sleeping. Suddenly somebody touches him, and, and that angel said to Elijah, get up and eat. And Elijah looked up, and, and behold, at his head was a cake of bread on hot stones and a jug of water. And so he ate and drank, then he laid down again. 
Seems like Elijah's exhausted. He falls back asleep. Then the angel of the Lord returned a second time and touched Elijah. Then he said, get up and eat, for the journey is too great for your present condition. So Elijah got up, ate, and drank. God provided, really, miracle food for Elijah. He nourished him so that Elijah could come to Mount Sinai and talk to him. And so Elijah got up and ate and drank, and then he walked from the nourishment of the food 40 days and 40 nights, as far as the mountain of God, namely Horeb, which you and I know is Mount Sinai. See how the Lord had provided? But it's amazing more so when Elijah gets to that mountain, there's an earthquake, there's wind, rocks crash into each other and everything, and we're constantly told, and the Lord wasn't in the wind, and the Lord wasn't in the shaking of the earth. But then God comes to him with a gentle whisper, why are you here, Elijah? God comes as the loving God to embrace him. Lord, they've killed all the prophets and and I'm the only one left. It's gotten hard and I'm done. I'm done. Nobody believes in you except me. And then Elijah finds out the Lord had provided in a way Elijah wasn't expected. God says, not so. For I've preserved 7,000 knees that have not bowed down to Baal. Turns out being Elijah's ministry was was God using him to be his messenger to prevent those 7,000 knees from worshiping Baal. We're not told about the people who came, returned to faith in the Lord or came to faith in the Lord that day, but we know that 7,000 people never did worship Baal. God had provided. He had provided through Elijah, and Elijah hadn't even recognized it, and he had provided for Elijah. And ultimately, then he tells Elijah there at Mount Sinai, now go anoint this king, this king, and this king. They're going to take care of the political problems. Uh, and then go and, and also anoint Elisha. He's going to be your successor. And obviously we know the rest of the story. Elijah gets to go to heaven. So Elijah just needed to be a little bit more patient because the Lord was providing in a way he didn't understand. This reminds us, the Lord provides. Take time to rest your body. Take time to rest in that word, in those means of grace. And patiently wait. For the Lord's going to provide that neighbor who maybe didn't come to faith right away. You might have planted a seed and God might be planning on sending you to water it and others to water it. Be patient. Let the Lord provide. He knows everything and he knows what you need. So what should we do when God does not do what we think he should do? Remember that the law does not convert. The good news of salvation in Christ, that's the gospel. That's what creates the new person in a heart. That's what converts. That's what motivates. Head to the Lord by coming to his means of grace, especially by hearing his word. Especially come to worship the Lord with your brothers and sisters in Christ, where you can mutually encourage each other with the word. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Christ has washed you clean of your sin, and the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. And patiently let the Lord provide. Amen. Let us conclude our sermon with prayer. Lord God, how often do we sinfully think we know better than you when we serve with love for you and our neighbor and the results are not what we expected. Nourish our faith and strengthen our spirit that we may trust in you. Comfort us with your word that we may be patient in your perfect timing. Let us see your loving rule over all creation so that we may set aside our own broken ego and be healed in the blood of the lamb. Amen. Our text for our sermon has been 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 through 8. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. 
There he sat down under a broom tree where he prayed that he would die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and went to sleep under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Then he looked around and near his head there was a loaf of bread baking on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and then he laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat because the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Then with the strength gained from that food, he walked for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is the word of our Lord. Amen.